Ciao amici. Welcome to Cinema Italiano, the podcast dedicated to the Italian experience as told by film. Today, we'll be talking about Lucchino Visconti's 1976 film L'Innocente, or The Innocent. But first, a few news updates. The David Di Donatello Awards, like Italy's version of the Oscars, took place a few weeks ago. The big winner this year was Marco Bellocchio's The Traitor, with Pinocchio, La Dea Fortuna, and Martin Eden also picking up major awards. I personally was rooting for Martin Eden, my favorite from last year, but really enjoyed The Traitor as well, and I'm very excited to revisit it soon. Next, I want to provide a brief update on this year's film festivals. With COVID-19 still keeping us socially distant, it's hard to know for sure what this year's film festivals, least of all the future of movie going, are going to look like in the future. But as of today, July 30th, 2020, the Venice Film Festival is expected to move ahead. The opening night film is Daniele Lucchetti's Lachi, and some other Italian selections in the festival will include Miss Marks, Noturno, Padre Nostro, and Le Sorelle Macaluso. As the first major festival to go ahead, with many pursuing cancellations and virtual alternatives, Venice could turn out to be the kickstart the international film community has been waiting for. The Venice Film Festival's restorations include Antonioni's Cronaca di un Amore and Germi's Serota e Abandonata, or Seduced and Abandoned, which I'm particularly excited about. I really love Seduced and Abandoned, and if you haven't seen it, it's right up there with Divorzio all'Italiano as a razor-sharp example of socially conscious Commedia all'Italiana. Also coming up this fall is Il Cinema Ritrovato, presented by the Cineteca di Bologna. This festival is focused on restorations and celebrating film preservation. Some of the new restorations they'll feature include I Cento Cavalieri by Cota Favi, Comizi di Amore by Pasolini, and Quattro Mosche di Velluto Grigio by Argento. What's also a no- of note is a, quote, new edition of Matteo Garone's Gomorra, recut by the director himself. As the story goes, he was re-watching the film with his 12-year-old son and wanted to revisit it and re-edit it to make the narrative clearer and more fluid. I admit, the first time I watched Gomorra, I had a hard time following the story, so maybe this will make it easier for other first-time watchers in the future. But the news item that I'm most excited about is that Francesco Rosi's Christ Stopped at Eboli will be joining the Criterion Collection. This release comes in September and features a new 2K digital restoration, a documentary on Italian political cinema, and much more. I actually published an essay on this film back in April, so it was a fun surprise to see it announced just weeks after I watched it for the very first time myself. A lot of us are probably still inside right now, but at least we have a lot of restored and upcoming Cinema Italiano to look forward to watching while we're at home. L'Innocente is Visconti's very last film, and was released in Italy just weeks after his death. 
He works again here with longtime screenwriter Suzo Cechi D'Amico, and it's his first and only collaboration with any of the three lead actors, Giancarlo Giannini, Laura Antonelli, and Jennifer O'Neill. In particular, Giancarlo Giannini is the most fun to watch in this role. He is probably best known for his Academy Award-nominated performance in Lena Wertmüller's Seven Beauties, and his characters are very often crazed, rough around the edges, even maniacal. His character here is no less disturbed, but he delivers a suave, refined performance very distinct from his more famous roles. Here's a brief plot summary of the film, courtesy of Film Movement. Gabriele D'Annunzio's passionate novel is brought to life in this final masterpiece from acclaimed director Lucchino Visconti. In late 19th century Italy, Tullio, an insatiable aristocrat, grows bored with his timid wife Giuliana and neglects her for his more exciting mistress, the wealthy widow Countess Teresa Raffo. After learning that Giuliana is having a torrid affair of her own, Tullio becomes tormented by her infidelity and descends into madness. There are two dysfunctional relationships at the core of this film, that of Tullio and Giuliana, husband and wife, and that of Tullio and Teresa, married man and mistress. Tullio and Teresa are constantly at odds, manipulating the other to gain the upper hand. At the concert performance that opens the film, Teresa becomes livid when she sees Tullio and Giuliana arrive together. She says she's leaving for her next destination, stating, my night does not end here, referring to the concert. Tullio then tells his wife he's feeling ill, leaves the concert, and goes to Teresa's house, where Teresa is waiting for him. She's grinning and playing solitaire, and tells Tullio she went home because she knew he'd meet her there after all, despite what she had told him just moments earlier. Holding cards in her hand and laughing to herself, she's literally playing games with him. Later on in the film, she invites Tullio to join her in Paris, but he is unable to accept her invitation. When he does return back to Rome, she has already come back, early. He says he didn't know Teresa would have returned earlier than planned, and she teases him that he should have known better. I believe the truth is never said to one's face, she says. My friends will surely laugh when they hear the story of my fall. She mocks Tullio for not picking up on her lie, taking her for her word, and not reading between the lines. Dishonesty is also at the core of Tullio's relationship with his wife, Juliana, though it has manifested as a symptom of Tullio's cruel, unflinching honesty to her. He makes it no secret that he has fallen out of love with his wife. He says their love has faded, an inevitable decay that comes with time. He doesn't even hide his affair with Teresa from her, and begs Juliana to comfort him in the moments when Teresa spurns him. Juliana has suffered, presumably, years of infidelity from her husband, but doesn't own up to her putting herself on an equal playing field. When she leaves to pursue an affair with author Filippo D'Aborio, she tells Tullio she's off to attend an auction. She even asks him to help pin her veil on, as if Tullio is preparing to give her away to her betrothed. The lies all twist back to Teresa. Tullio tells Teresa that his wife went to attend an auction, Teresa replies that Juliana was not in attendance, and laughs at him for being lied to by his wife. There's a mad irony at play, of a husband being upset by being lied to his wife, and he expresses his frustration to his mistress. 
Tulio's moral code, with fine lines between honesty and dishonesty, are more constant when it comes to defending his pride and self-interest while spurning religious values. He's a self-proclaimed atheist, stating, God doesn't decide what's right or wrong for me. I assume my responsibilities. Earth is my only country. I have no other destination. When Juliana becomes pregnant with Filippo's child, he asks her to terminate the pregnancy, violating civil and religious law. The night the baby is born, he even tells the doctor that if something goes wrong and they have to make a choice, that they should save the mother over the child. The doctor thanks Tulio for accepting that responsibility, even if it goes against Catholicism. The presence of religion extends even beyond the text of the film. Their parallels abound to the Madonna and child, personified by Juliana and her soon-to-be-departed child, Raimondo. A painting of the Virgin Mary hangs above Juliana's nightstand and a portrait of Christ in the baby's nursery. Throughout the film, Juliana is surrounded by colors and imagery associated with purity, adorned in whites, wearing veils, even bearing a child without a father. And of course, tragically, Raimondo is condemned to death, placed on a porcelain bench not unlike a sacrificial altar by Tulio. As an upper-class man in 19th century Rome, though, Tulio is afforded an agency and privilege that most women did not have. Teresa, as a young widow, describes herself as a free, liberated woman, with no husband and no children in sight. She has the freedom and agency to do as she pleases. In contrast, Juliana is trapped in an unfaithful marriage. Her friend the princess tries to encourage her to never accept the role of an abandoned wife. Kind words coming from a good place, though within an institution of marriage, and a confines Juliana must figure out how to operate within. As captive a hold the men in this film seem to exercise over its women, there is a faint hope in its final moments. Finally freed of Tulio for good, Teresa steps out of his house, and the final shot is of her walking away from the camera. This moment is like the opposite of the film's beginning, set indoors with men fencing and fighting amongst themselves, an image of dominance. The film ending with an image of self-liberation could represent the triumph over that dominance. The sensation of entrapment versus freedom is a steady current flowing throughout the film. Nearly every scene is indoors, with five exceptions. Tulio arriving to La Bodiola, his mother's estate. Tulio, his mother, and Juliana having tea at La Bodiola. Tulio and Juliana arriving at Villa Lila, the house built for them when they got married. Tulio asking his brother Federico to arrange a meeting with Filippo. And this final scene I mentioned of Teresa walking away for good. What these five scenes all have in common is reflecting the spark of something new, something changing. The rekindling of Tulio and Juliana's romance. Tulio's jealousy reaching a vengeful fever pitch. And Teresa abandoning the corpse of the man she loved. These moments are catalysts in real action compared to the interior scenes of the majority of the film. The drama and tension grow, ferment, and bottle up in these interior scenes, with the only reprieve coming through these exterior scenes of transformation and change.
The geography and real-life filming locations of L'Innocente contribute to the movie's dichotomy of confinement versus liberty. Most of the film takes place in Rome, the biggest city in Italy, and is the locale of the unhappy marriage, affairs, and tragedy of the plot. The scenes in the countryside are that breath of fresh air, away from society, the city, where the married couple rekindles their dormant romance. The scenes in Rome were shot at the Villa Mirafiori, built in real life to be the Roman residence of Rosa Teresa Vercellana, the mistress and later wife of Victor Emmanuel II, King of Italy. It goes beyond the text, of course, but it's interesting to think that this real-life locale was itself the product of infidelity. Today, it is a part of the Sapienza University of Rome, whose alma mater includes Federico Fellini and Bernardo Bertolucci. I really enjoyed this film. As a slower-paced psychological drama along the lines of some of Visconti's other films, like White Nights or Death in Venice. Its three lead characters are almost mythic in nature and complexity, and their stories are simultaneously intertwined and self-destructive. It's fascinating to watch just unravel. L'Innocente is available for rent and purchase on digital platforms, and Film Movement just released a new restoration on Blu-ray. The film's central love triangle reminded me of Stephen Frears' Dangerous Liaisons, another period piece drama ripe with backstabbing, betrayal, and tragedy. There were also elements similar to Lena Wertmuller's Ferdinando and Carolina, particularly showing how a married couple can still reconnect even in the midst of infidelity. Thank you for listening, and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to this show. Thank you again, and until next time, ciao amici.